0: Be seated. And we're looking at the uh, third commandment now. We've been looking at that for, um, uh, let's see, I guess uh, last time we just began with the introductory sermon. So these questions on the third commandment are in questions 53 through 56. And last week we looked at the commandment itself, what the words mean. Kind of an overview, it was an introductory message. And then we looked also at how the first, second, and third commandment are related to each other last time. Today, we're going to move on to question number uh, 54. But before we do that, let's review question 53. Question 53, which is the third commandment? The third commandment is... Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And then question 54, the one we're looking at today. What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. So I want to remind you that with each of the commandments, that we look first at what the commandment is, and then we look at what is required and what is forbidden. It's very important to come at all the commandments in that way. When we think about what is required, which is what we're doing today, see that's not actually how the commandment is stated, is it? It says you shall not Take the name of the Lord. It tells us what we shouldn't do. But yet we're talking about what is required in that commandment. Why do we do that? Because by implication, when, some, when God forbids something, there's something opposite to that that is required. And we should look at this, the, what, the things that are required, as a kind of an invitation of what God has for us as his people. In other words, he's going to help us to um, have more of a holy and reverent use of his name. We're going to grow in that way as his people so that we can look at these as sort of almost promises, really. We're a work in process, and we have not yet attained what God has called his people to be, but he is at work in us by his spirit. And because he's promised to perfect us, we know that the day is coming when we really will or revere God and, and honor him the way that we should. We can look at the commandments then with eager anticipation as Christians, because these are you can look at them as 10 promises in the grace of God. There are 10 promises of what what we shall be. We, they, they, they re, and and we, we want to we want to look at them in the full reach that they have. So that we don't just look at what is forbidden, but when we hear of what is forbidden, we say, well, like if a commandment says not to kill, well, that would also mean that we should love, we should preserve life, we should protect life, that kind of a thing. And uh, we learn to expand them so that we don't just look at what the letter says, but we look at everything associated with that commandment. There's, they're meant to be taken that way because they're summaries. So presently, as God's people, we're living at a rather low ebb. We're missing all the fullness of life as it is meant to be lived, missing the glory. When it comes to the third commandment, what does that involve? It's really something like what we were talking about this morning regarding the Song of Solomon. We're insensible of God's beauty, of his majesty, insensible of the greatness of his name, of all that is revealed about him. And that's what this commandment is talking about, isn't it? You don't take all that revelation in vain. You take it to heart, rather. You cherish it. It becomes precious to you. And you take it to heart. It expands. When we're told not to take his name in vain, it's kind of a wake-up call for us. To do what? To behold our God. To look at who God really is and to take that into account so that we respond to that and we live in accordance with who God is, that we have a delight in him, that we have a, 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 um, a confidence in him even, when we see his strength and his wisdom, that we're not kind of wandering around aimlessly. Remember what his name is, as we saw in the introductory message, that it's God's revelation of himself. It's all the ways that he, he makes himself known. So we take all of this revelation and we take it, to heart rather than taking it in vain. You just see how truly great he is. It's full and glorious revelation, but we don't fully see it because sin has blinded us. There's a beauty that is there, but our receptors are broken. There's something wrong with us that we miss the glory of God. Part of it is fear. We're afraid to see God for who he really is because when we do, we see in reflection of the, his glory how sinful we are, and it makes us shy away. And yet at the same time, we're we're attracted to him. We're like Moses. He was afraid of the burning bush, and yet he wanted to come and look at it. He wanted to come closer. He was drawn to it. Part of our problem is that our taste buds are not working right, and so we don't see the glory that's there as well. That's uh, some of the problem. But God has all these ways that he connects with us. Like, what is How does he make himself known, right? His names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word and works. We're going to look at that today. How does God connect with us with all of these aspects of his name? How does he reveal himself? And then we're going to say, hey, we're not supposed to take all that revelation in vain. We're supposed to really take it in, take it to heart. Should have the highest esteem for God's glorious name. It'll change our lives if we do. We will become different people, people that are godly rather than ungodly. We're associated with God rather than not connected with him at all. It is a fullness that can be ours of our walk with God. Now, this is just what isaiah 40 calls us to do is to behold our god it's our scripture reading today we used this scripture not long ago for a special sermon regarding the uh, pandemic and whatnot but isaiah has just told god's people you might remember i mentioned at that time that they're going into exile that jerusalem is going to be taken over by Babylon in the years to come. It was pretty far ahead, it was like over a century when Isaiah ahead when Isaiah said that. But that the house of David was going to fall. It was extremely discouraging for the people who love God. How can you mean Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the temple where we gather for worship is going to be gone? It's going to be just and we're going to be carried off into pagan land? It was hard for those that love God and hope for his salvation. But starting with chapter 40, Isaiah begins to speak words of comfort to God's people. And he begins to introduce the really glorious part of this prophecy that he gave. He calls upon them to the start to behold their God. You need to look and see who God is, and then you won't be overwhelmed by the pressures of life and the circumstances in our society where we see things sort of closing in on us sometimes he calls them to behold god as he is revealed to them through the coming messiah god is coming to reveal his name to them and it is for them it is for us to behold his glory to take that revelation to heart rather than to take it in vain God's name was revealed in Jesus Christ and his coming more than any other way to us. That's when the fullness of God's glory was revealed. So in that spirit, give your fullest attention as I read this passage to you, Isaiah 40, and consider the comfort that we have when we behold our God, when we see who he really is and we don't take that in vain. See, if you take it in vain, you're going to be all afraid of all the things that are going on around you. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But if you see and it's like, hey... God, God's on his throne. Let's behold him. Let's behold him. Isaiah 40, verse one. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all. When did that happen? Ultimately, it was when Jesus came. It happened in a way when God brought them out of Babylon. That was just a shadow of it. But when it really happened was when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That's, when, that's what Isaiah is pointing to here. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's revealed in Christ right when he came and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because of the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. There's no hope there. But the word of our Lord stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings. Get up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That's what we need to do. We need to see who he is and what he's promised. We need to take this revelation seriously in the face of hard times. Verse 10, behold, the Lord your God shall come with a strong hand. And his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and the balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who has... Or as his counselor has taught him. With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Hey, somebody, can you, can you point to someone that has done that? Is there some guy walking around that, that was a counselor to God and that told him how things should be done? And God said, oh, I, I overlooked that. Of course not. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. And are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burned offering. All nations before him are as nothing. That's not much, is it? And they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. Okay, so this guy is going to make a, he, he says, okay, I'll make something that, like God. He molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. That's foolish, isn't it? Verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow upon them, and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. That's all he has to do. Just, just blow upon them. And then they, they're, they're gone. Verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their, their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his mind, and by the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob? And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Now, let's put that in our modern English. God, why aren't you doing anything? Saying, why do you say to God, why aren't you doing anything? You see, like, I've made claims about justice, and there's nothing, nothing, there's no justice done. Verse 28, he asks him again, have you not known, have you not heard, The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And there we end the reading of God's word. Who is it that runs and is not weary and walks and, not, and does not faint? It's the ones who behold their God. When we behold God and we have faith in God and we don't take the revel- his revelation of himself in vain, that's when we have confidence, when we're able to go forward. He gives us strength through faith as we trust in him and we're able to go forward. So, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We looked at this passage, as I mentioned, a few months ago, but today I'm going to take up this wonderful imperative in this passage and focus on that that says, Behold your God, because that's what the third commandment tells us to do, to behold God. Verse 9, when God reveals his name, first eight verses. Isaiah tells them that God is coming and that he will be revealed. And then in verse 9, he says, when he's revealed, what should you do? What should you do when God is revealed? Behold your God. That's what you should do. He has been revealed. So now we have the privilege of not just waiting for him to be revealed, but of looking at who he is. Don't take his name in vain when it's revealed. That's the point. Take it to heart. That's what the third commandment requires of us. And that's what we're destined to do. Remember what I said before, the commandments can be taken as promises. God has his hand on our lives. We have given ourselves to him for salvation. He's going to teach us to behold our God and to take his revelation, not in vain, but seriously. This is our inheritance that we will be filled with understanding and trust in our God. So today, then, let's consider how we are to behold him, as the Catechism puts it in his names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word and works. I'm going to look at each one of those. So I I keep having these uh, these seven-point type sermons today. I I think there's seven here. I didn't count them. Doesn't really matter. I'm still looking, though. Now I'm stuck looking. No, it's only six. No, we had seven this morning. Okay, anyway, so there's these seven things. First of all, behold him in his names. So often, the names of God, the different names that he has, just kind of roll off our tongue in a thoughtless manner. That's exactly what's not supposed to happen. That's why the Jews didn't use God's name and they didn't want to say it because they didn't want it to just roll off their tongue and not even have any significant, not i I'd be thinking about his name is like we saw this morning. Ointment poured out. You know, it's something something that is very very precious and it should we should take notice of. It will do as much good then to consider this. In Isaiah forty, he is referred to simply as God. But think about what that name means. The gods of the nations are said to be idols. So when you think about the name God, you think about someone that's very different than the idols. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's set in contrast to them as the only true God. He's Elohim, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We're not without him. None of the gods of the nations compares to him. Their creations as well. He is the one that we are to behold when Isaiah says, behold your God. It's not another God, it's this God. He's the one who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, decided how much water there would be in each place. He's the one who weighed the mountains in his balance, determined where they would be and how big they would be. He is the one before whom the nations are but a drop in a bucket. If you take this revelation of God, his name, to heart and not in vain, think about it. It'll change everything for you. You'll you'll have an entirely different outlook. Instead of fretting about your life, about the problems in the world, the problems in the government, you will be greatly comforted Even if you have to go in exile, even if you get shut up in a prison cell or something, your God is God and he has the whole matter in hand and he will fulfill his holy purpose because he is God. So we look for, as we saw this morning, the kisses of his love in those situations that we might be in because we know that he is God. Behold your God. Isaiah 40 also refers to him as Lord. Lord all caps, you know that name. It's the one Yahweh, the one I was saying the Jews didn't want to say. That's why they said, replaced it with Lord instead of saying Yahweh. Yahweh is not a title, but it is actually a name of God that he gave to himself to distinguish him from the other nations. Of course, names have meanings, and uh, it's a name that refers to his existence because the meaning of the name, I think most of you know here, is I am. I am that I am. He alone then is. He just is. Everything else is created. It subsists in him. He alone exists in and of himself. But what is tremendously encouraging in Isaiah 40 is that Isaiah tells the poor saints who are getting ready to go into exile that what is going to happen to them. When they go into they're going into exile. And he says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed to you. Why are they going into exile? So the glory of the Lord can be revealed to them. Why did God raise up Pharaoh and make him hard and oppressive against the people? So the glory of the Lord can be revealed. Why Babylon? So the glory of the Lord can be revealed. He calls them to prepare the way for the Lord, for him to be revealed. Yahweh himself is coming to redeem them. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. They, they couldn't imagine, God. what do they mean? What do they mean he, the Lord is going to come? What do they mean? It must be he's coming in the clouds to do things up there, down here. But that's not what happened, is it? He came all flesh. We'll see it together. It's something to be proclaimed with fervency. And you know, of course, that 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, John the Baptist came and declared that Jesus Christ was the Lord who came among them to save them from their sins. He was the Lord. He used these words, prepare the way of the Lord, Yahweh, that name. He, he prepared the way of the Lord by repentance. If God's going to come, you better repent of your sin. If God's going to come, you should be baptized. You should look for cleansing from God because if you try to cleanse yourself, it's not going to go well. So when uh, Jesus came, that's what John said. He declared that he was the Lord whose shoes he was not worthy to loose, the, the, throng, the throng on his sandal. The, the loosing of a shoe was a task that even the lowliest of Jews was not expected to do. Even a slave of the, among the Jews was not required to loosen a sandal like that. John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. In other words, John didn't take this name in vain. He said, this is the Lord. I, I, can't, even, I can't even loosen his sandal. It's, it's too high of a thing for me to do. It's too great of a thing. Let it soak into you that Yahweh who came in, is the one who came and washed his disciples' feet when they didn't have a, a Gentile servant there to do it. Meditate on the fact that it is he who came among us to save us. The Lord of glory himself is the one that was spit upon. You see how easy it is to just take that in a cavalier way? It's like, you know, oh, yeah, he came and died on the cross. Yeah, no, this is the Lord that did this. Don't trivialize his great name. Do not use his name as an exclamation or as a trivial curse. I mean, should you use God's name as a curse when you strike your thumb with a hammer or something? Or He's the one before whom the nations are as a drop in the bucket. He's the one that came here among us. The nations are less than the dust on the scales before him. Yet he saves us. Revere his name. Second, behold him in his titles. His titles are similar to his names, but are representative of his office. Like you have a title, you know, with your office. In Isaiah 40, he is described in ways that bring to mind many of his titles. For example, he is described as our shepherd. And elsewhere, he is called the good shepherd who feeds his flock, who gives us bread from heaven and cares for us, bread that makes us live forever, water of life that causes us to never thirst again. He is revealed as the judge of all the nations who observes the nations. See, that's the title, judge. He observes the nations and he calls them to account for all that they have done. You take that name in vain? He shouldn't. He is seen as our prophet who reveals himself to us so that we behold him. We behold the glory of God, He is seen to be our priest who pays double for all our sins. Also is the Lamb of God, who is the only sacrifice the priest has to offer. He is seen to be our king who reigns over us and who gives us strength. King, that's an important title, isn't it? The Savior who saves us. All these things need to be taken to heart. The Bible is filled with titles of God, and each of them is precious. He is judge of all the earth which reminds us that we must give an account and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings which reminds us that he rules over everything. He is the creator and the redeemer which reminds us that we are his. He made us and he saved us. He is the prince of peace which reminds us of the nature of his kingdom. He's a it's a kingdom of peace that he is establishing he is the lily of the valley reminding us of his beauty he is the lion of the tribe of judah reminding us of his power he is our rock and fortress which reminds us of the safety we have in him he is the hearer of prayer he is the ancient of days it is for you to take these titles not in vain but to heart meditate on them They are no empty tiles. You could just take one or two of those and meditate on it. Say on on Monday, you could take one of them, and on Tuesday, you think about those names. Take comfort in who He is. Rest in Him. Revere Him. Tremble before Him. Speak of them to others. Promote your God in the church and among the nations. Talk of Him to your children. The third thing we are to behold in God's names is His attributes. God's attributes, an attribute is a characteristic of him, things that are true about him. The Bible is a treasure trove of marvelous attributes about God. And we do well not to take them in vain. Take them to heart. We ought to take delight in learning his glorious name in this way. The Psalms are full of descriptions of God's, about God's power, grace, judgment, mercy, and wisdom. There are passages like, Exodus 34, 6, which says the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Those are attributes of God. That's what he's like right here in Isaiah 40. We're told that of his greatness is the one who's high above all nations. Greatness is an attribute of his power that he uh, his power to call them all by name, to preserve them or destroy them according to his pleasure. We're told that he is everlasting. That's one of his attributes. He never faints or is weary, that nothing is hidden from him. He sees all things, that he generously gives strength to his people, that his understanding is unsearchable, the attribute of understanding. There are glories upon glories for us to discover. Our thoughts about him should bring us pleasure. When we take these attributes to heart, When we believe them to be true and when we really come to grips with them, what will come forth from us? What should come forth? Worship. Worship should come forth. We will stand before him in true love and adoration. And we will want to please him. We will want to give ourselves to him because he is so very great, so very present, so very holy. We will will not want to cross him or displease him. We'll tremble to do so. If we don't take his name in vain, we will take refuge in his saving mercy in Christ. The very last thing, if we revere God, the last thing we would want to do is meet God without Christ. Moreover, we will want to imitate him as loving children and those attributes that he shares with us. What we call communicable attributes. God has attributes like um, that he he's ever from everlasting to everlasting we we don't share that one but we share things like wisdom and and that sort of thing so we will want to be merciful as our father in heaven is merciful if we if we don't take his mercy in vain we'll want to do good to all as he does good we want to be holy as he is holy we'll want to love as he loves he is altogether lovely and by his grace through jesus christ We can become like him. So you see, that should excite you when you see the communicable attributes and you say, God has called me to imitate him. But if you take those attributes in vain and you say, oh, that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Or you just ignore it. Don't pay any attention. Then you're taking it in vain. Do not avoid him because you find corruption in yourself. He already knows about all the corruption and he came to redeem us. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So don't avoid looking at his attributes because they make you ashamed, but look at them because you're redeemed. And even though you don't have that love and that wisdom and such that you should, you can become more and more like him. Fourth, we behold him in his ordinances. Lord has given us all kinds of ordinances, ordinances, we hear about things that the government makes and mask ordinances and things like that. And we don't; those aren't so such such good things. But God's ordinances, we're very glad about. Ordinances are things that He has appointed for us to do. They are holy ways, really, of connecting with God. Very often, the ordinances are, are ways that we can come to Him. Um, there are worship ordinances: the reading of the Word prayer things we saw when we looked at the second commandment really prayer singing of psalms to praise his name the sacraments of baptism and the lord's supper god has appointed his ordinances of an ordinance of his is that he has given ministers and elders and deacons to serve he has ordained that we should tithe and that we should preach the gospel to the nations that's his ordinances to carry the word to all the nations he has ordained that we should go to restore our brother or our sister, if they are overtaken in sin, we should go to help them, and if someone is in rebellion, that we should discipline them, remove them from that's his ordinance of discipline. He has ordained family worship. He has ordained private worship, prayers, reading of the word at home. It's very easy for us to go through the motions of worship and to take it in vain, to take his ordinances in vain, not to take it to heart. Isn't that so? It's such a shameful thing to come before God and all of His glorious ordinances and never connect with Him. This is one of the most heinous sins as His people, and it's really a a devious sin, I guess you could call it, because we we don't we don't notice it. A Christian commits adultery, and, and he's really grieved and, and should be. The same Christian goes to worship service with a heart that. Is far away, not connected with God. Don't even think about it. Which is more important, the third commandment? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain? Or the seventh commandment? You should not commit adultery. Something to think about, isn't it? How we ought to repent of this sin? We should be broken before God. Not destroyed, but broken so that we can come to him and be healed. Because he comes to us when we have a broken and contrite heart shouldn't be indifferent about taking his name in vain about forgetting him prepare for worship fast and pray in preparation for lord's day worship ask god to help you to focus and to engage and not to take his name in vain now there's all sorts of other ordinances that god has given us to keep besides what we call the creation ordinances sabbath labor and marriage Those are all things that were ordained before the fall. These, two are to be kept with a view to pleasing God. We're not to take them in vain because they're ordinances of God. If they weren't ordinances of God, you could do whatever you wanted with them. But they're ordinances of God. Men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They're to take that seriously. Wives are to submit to their husbands as the church does to Christ. Marriage is not to be entered into lightly. It's a covenant that's not to be broken. Is to take God's name in vain if you enter into the covenant and then break the covenant. We're to be fruitful and we're to multiply. Even if we're not married or if we're barren, we're to promote life and increase in our whole attitude. Maybe helping people that, that have children and, and to bring up godly children and such things as that. God has ordained the civil magistrate. We're to obey them in their ordinances, so long as they do not call us to do what is sinful or forbid us to fulfill our God-given duties. He has ordained that children are to honor and obey their parents, that we're to look after the poor. That's an ordinance that God has given us. We're to maintain justice. None of these things are to be taken in vain because they're God's ordinances. They're his holy ordinances. And we're to see him in all of his ordinances, his name, his name, is written on the ordinances. So when you look at marriage, do you see God? When you look at uh, children obeying parents, do you see the ordinance of God? Or is it just like a thing? You should see God in it, or you take his name in vain. Fifth, behold him in his word. Of course, we have just looked at the word as an ordinance of worship. But the word is singled out here. When we talk about God's names, I'm talking about the catechism definition, right, that we're going through. His names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word. See, word is given in addition to ordinances. The word is singled out as one of God's ways that his name is revealed to us because it's the primary way that he reveals his name to us. It's so important. Jesus is the living, eternal word from the Father who came in the fullness of time to reveal God and God's glory to us by redeeming us according to God's directive. Truly, God connects with us through him. And the best thing that you can do is come and take this wonderful revelation of God to heart. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He has come in the flesh and we have beheld his glory. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Behold your God when he comes. That's what John the Baptist picked up. From Isaiah, then saying that he was preparing the way of the Lord God who is coming. The word of God. There's no better way to learn of God than from his word, his living word. This is what Isaiah is announcing in Isaiah 40. Behold your God, your Redeemer. And of course, Christ, the living word, must never be separated from the written word. We saw something about that in John 14 today. When we look to that, you remember when we were looking at John 14, that you have the word and the spirit there together that Jesus promises because he's going away. And so how do we connect with him now? Is it just kind of a mystical thing that I just kind of imagined what Jesus is saying to me? No, he's given me his word. That the word now is not in flesh walking around. He's gone up to be with the father. But we have the record of all that he did and said and taught in the scriptures. And then the spirit works through that. So that the word is not just a dead letter, but that God actually speaks to us through the word. How far astray we go when we turn from the word of God. God has given us the holy scriptures to reveal Christ to us today. It is through the scriptures that we have a perfect, infallible, complete record of him. Many arrogant men have denied that the Bible is the word of God and they have taken it upon themselves To redefine Christ, to define him according to what they think Christ should be. How far astray we go when we do this. Fallen men, imagine fallen men deciding what their redeemer should look like. How does that work? That's like trying to heal yourself. No, brothers and sisters, come humbly to God's word with a teachable spirit. Come depending on God's spirit to open the scriptures to you to teach you. This is how you learn of Christ and of God's salvation and how you take it to heart. Don't come to the word without prayer. We come reverently to God's word in a holy and reverent use of the word. Don't look at this book as private interpretations of men. It's the testimony of holy men of God who spoke by the Holy Spirit. They have spoken the very word of God. It is God breathed. We have a sure word of prophecy here that We can hang all of our hopes on and be sure of. Do not be led astray by arrogant priests and ministers. God has magnified his word above all his name. It's the primary way that he reveals himself to us. So don't take the word in vain. Of course, it says things that make you uncomfortable. It stands in judgment of our society, of every society. It is from God and we are sinners. Jesus brought his word to bear upon all the the seven churches in Asia Minor. But what comfort it gives us when we see clearly in it that Christ has come to redeem us. To, as Isaiah 40 says, pay double for all our sins. That's in the word. To reveal the salvation of God. And he came to be, not just to reveal the salvation, but to be that salvation. Take it to heart. Don't be dead to it. Welcome the truth. Welcome the Savior. Lodge him, live before him, rejoice in him. That's what you do when you don't take the word in vain. Sixth, behold him in his works. God is known through his works of creation and providence. The work of creation is making all things of nothing. When you see a great work of art or a great piece of technology, you stand in awe. You hear of a phantom jet that can disappear before its enemies you go wow that's amazing look at that and you show people about it or you hear an incredible a completely different way of looking you hear an incredible piece of music that someone has written and, and performed and and you're so impressed you don't take it in vain because it's something that is excellent that is put before your eyes how much more should you be impressed when you see all that god has made he calls it all by his name he brought it into being by the word of his power. The more we learn about the universe, the more we are in awe. The vastness, the glory, the intricate design, the interworking of everything. And then we look in the microscope. Okay, we look at the broad universe and we see all in the heavens. Then we look at the microscope and we see more and more detail all the time. In the days of Darwin, they thought that a cell was just kind of a blob of goo or something. And now we see that there's a whole little complex of a city almost going on inside with thousands of little machines and functions going on. It's it's incredible. Information centers, information being transported back and forth. It's it's mind boggling. So incredibly designed. But you see, do you see the designer? It's a work of God. And not only that, but in creation, we see his marvelous goodness, we see his imagination. The very fact that there is such a thing as seeing invented with things to see, not in black and white, but in color. It's kind of amazing. There are such things as sunsets and oceans and mountains, beautiful faces. There's such a thing as eyes to see these things with. And there is such a thing as marital love. And that by this, children are brought forth who are like us, and yet each one is unique. God designed that. He's the creator. There's such a thing as taste buds and so many things to taste. And the fact that we're able to make things and that we have, God has made us to have artistic flair and to write stories and to make automobiles and to explore things and to communicate with each other. It's God's doing. Behold his glory. But of course, his greatest work of all, the work that he is most delighted to perform The work that Isaiah is focused on in this text reveals his glory more than any other is the work of redemption. We're fallen creatures. We've sinned against God. We were beyond repair. And yet he came with a promise of mercy to us in the Old Testament, promising to be our God and that he would take us as his people. And now he has done that great work that was required, the great work that was required for that to happen. He has sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The one declared in Isaiah 40 to be our redeemer. And he has come and he has borne the wrath of God on the cross. Do not take this great work of God in vain. Believe, trust, receive, rejoice. God will not accept any making light of this great work. If you're indifferent about it, you will have to bear the curse yourself. And that will bring you down to hell forever. Christ paid the penalty for his people And there is no other way to be saved but by him. The offer is freely proffered. The Lord says, look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. There is no other way but through Jesus crucified. He is the only one who is worthy of God's acceptance. He became flesh that we might be accepted of God through him. He became flesh that he might, as the acceptable one, also offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins in nothing else is god's wisdom power grace and mercy his holiness and justice so clearly seen as in his work of redemption god's work of creation reveals much his work of redemption reveals even more if you do not take it to heart you cannot be saved if you take it in vain you cannot be saved So the bottom line is that the third commandment calls you to treat God and everything associated with him with the utmost reverence. In the way you talk about him, in the way you think about him, in the way that you respond to him and to everything associated with him. You should do this because he is worthy of all honor, glory and praise. And therefore, anything that makes him known should be treated with special honor and reverence. Such majesty and glory demands nothing less from you. Though we come short and always will in this life, our Lord Jesus is there for us, for our pardon and for our help to grow. What a blessing it is to know that the day is coming when this work will be complete, when our sanctification will be complete. And the whole church will never, ever, ever take God's name in vain. Not one member, when we see his glory, will ever again take the name of the Lord our God in vain. What a joy and delight it will be in that day when we're finally able to do what Isaiah calls us to do here. Behold your God. Please stand. Oh Lord, how we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in such a marvelous, glorious way. Lord, there are so many ways that you have revealed yourself, your names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word and works. Lord, you are revealed all over the place. But we praise you, O oh Lord, that the greatest revelation of all is that that Isaiah speaks of here, when we behold your God when. When you came here, the Lord from heaven to redeem your people, we pray, O Lord, that we would learn not to take this or or anything about you in vain. We pray that we would count you with we we would have a, a holy and reverent use of your names, attributes, ordinances, word and works. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. For taking your name in vain we pray lord that you would cleanse us from this sin father it's interesting it's an interesting thing because this is one of those things that i guess it's that way with most sins but that if we forsake this sin we would be so much happier i mean there's nothing more special than beholding your glory and seeing our god and honoring you there's nothing better than that there's nothing that will give us more happiness than that. And we're, we're kind of our own worst enemy in that way because we're so slow, so sluggish, so hard for us to see that this is something, as you tell us, it's something that should matter is really what you're saying. Not to take it in vain. Something that should matter to us. Something that should be important. And we miss out. We miss out on so much. We're... We're rumbling around in the mud puddle when we could be out by the seashore. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would deliver us. We pray that you would cleanse us, that you would open our eyes, and that we might be able to behold you. Lord, we could ask you to reveal yourself, but indeed you have already revealed yourself most gloriously. So we would ask you rather to reveal yourself to us, To reveal yourself so that we can see what is there. So that we can see what has been revealed. That you would change us. Lord, we look for your kisses even as we did this morning. That you would come to us by your spirit to open our eyes to see your love. That you would manifest your love to us. That you would make it known. That in all your attributes. We would see who you are that we would see your name as an ointment poured forth and that we would delight in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Receive the blessing of the Lord our God. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be glory forever and ever. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.